following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. your unplowed ground break up your unplowed ground and do not sow among the thorns circumcise yourselves to the lord circumcise your hearts you men of judah and people of jerusalem or my wrath will break out and burn like fire because of the evil you have done Burn with no one to quench it. Jeremiah 4, verses 3 and 5. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. Are you ready to go to heaven? Have you made the preparation in order to go? 
What would you think if, if I said, I'm going to go to Hawaii on vacation, and I'm going to go tomorrow? But tomorrow morning, I've not packed anything. I've not made arrangements for my ticket. And I've not made any arrangement for transportation to the airport. Would I go to Hawaii tomorrow? No, I'd be left behind. I wouldn't get there. When you're going to go somewhere, there is preparation involved to go to that place. Just now, I know the trash man comes on Tuesday. So I said, well, I better get the trash out. But before I get the trash out, I have a couple of things I need to do. So very quickly I did them. And then I said, okay, now I can take the trash out. So I opened the garage door and began to take the trash out just as the trash man came by and picked up the neighbor's garbage. And they were already past me. So now my trash will sit in its container until the next trash pickup, which will not be until Friday. And the garage is going to smell bad. Fortunately, it's cold, so it won't smell that bad. But I missed it. Now, missing the trash man is not a great consequence. Just a little smelly. Missing heaven. Now that's a consequence. Not going with Jesus when he comes. That's a grave situation. We find in the book of Mark this incredible parable of the farmer who went out to sow his seed. And the parable goes like this. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. In other words, they'd made no preparation. They were offended. They were offended by the word. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on the good soil. It came up, grew, produced a crop, multiplying thirty, sixty, even a hundred times. Jesus said, in this parable are the very secrets of the kingdom of God. Well, I want to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Jesus answers his disciples as they later began to talk with him about this and ask what he meant. He said, don't you understand this parable? If you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word, the scriptures, this message, I'm sowing the word. The soil, you're the soil. And your response to this word will determine whether you go to heaven or not. 
Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. In other words, they're like a a hard packed down path, it says in the book of Matthew in the same parable. So the the word cannot penetrate. It has no place to to find a way to grow. It can't pierce the hardness. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. Well, literally, in the Greek, in way of review, only a short time, they last only a short time, is literally the word that we get scandalized from, scandalazo. It means scandal. It means I'm offended by what you've said and what you've done. So the seed is sown. They receive it with joy. But then things get tough for them. The the schedule at work tightens them and, and they won't let them off for the worship on Sunday. That's trouble. Because if you don't make it to worship and you don't make it to fellowship... The scriptures say, as you see the end time coming, gather all the more. I'm going to deal with this in a deeper way in just a moment. They have no root because they're rocky. They are offended by the gospel. They are offended by their need to repent. They think everybody else should make way for them. They're proud and arrogant in their heart. They, they refuse to acknowledge their own wicked heart, and it's always somebody else's wicked heart. They last only a short time. In other words, they blow away. They leave. They're out because they're offended. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no room to take offense. There is no room to take offense. The default position must always be, I forgive you. Seventy times seven, I forgive you. But now, let's talk about that which will keep you out of heaven. What is it that will keep you out of heaven? There are only three things that will keep you out of heaven. Once this seed has been sown on your life and the soil is good and you begin to grab a hold of this soil, begins to grab a hold of this seed of the word, the soil of your life, you're responsive to it. There are only three things that will keep you out of the kingdom of God and cause you to be unprepared unprepared when Jesus comes. You want to be saved? You have every intention of being ready to be saved. You have every intention of going to heaven. And if I were to ask you, are you going to go to heaven? You'd say, yes, I'm going to go to heaven. Well, are you ready to go to heaven? Well, not quite. I I have a few more things I need to do. Well, the airplane's leaving 
And if you're not at the gate when the door is shut, you're not going to go. You're going to be left behind. And that's going to be a very, very unhappy place with wailing, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. Listen, still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word. And now there are three things that Jesus identifies as the thorns that grow up and choke out the productivity and the very life of this seed and cause it not to bear the fruit that God wants it to bear. The first is the worries of this life. Literally, the responsibilities of this life. Now, please hear me. Many of you listening to this broadcast today are constantly on the move. You're in the car right now, perhaps. And when you arrive at your destination, you're going to turn this broadcast off because you don't have time to sit and listen. You don't have time. You're working. Your whole focus is on meeting your responsibilities. This single thing will keep countless numbers of you from ever entering heaven. What's the answer? Well, first, the answer is I must reduce my responsibilities. The worries of this life, this is not neurotic worry. This is the responsibilities of this life. If you want to be ready for Jesus to come, you must reduce your responsibilities. Why? Because to get ready for heaven will require your full attention and effort. It is not a casual game. It is not, well, if I make it, I make it. If I don't, I don't. It's no big deal. Wrong. It's a huge deal. It's life and death. It's heaven or hell. So as you face this, these responsibilities of life, Jesus is calling a thorn that will grow up and choke you out so that you are not ready when he comes. Literally, you are going to have to reduce the responsibilities of this life. Now, what do I mean? You're going to have to carve out time in a busy life to read the scriptures, to pray, to help the poor, to read, to read not just the scriptures, but many other wonderful books that will help you, but primarily focus on the scripture. I read the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation over and over and over again, more than well, when I got to 50 times, I quit counting. I'm now charging through it again. I finish, I go again. I finish, I go again. Why? Because I want to be ready when Jesus comes. And the Lord is doing an amazing work in my soul. Well, 
You're a pastor, so you have time. I made a choice. Likewise, you have to make a choice about where you're going to spend eternity and are you going to get ready. One man who works very hard in his job, working for Social Security, executive level, but he's up at 3.30 in the morning, so he has time to pray. He has time to read the Word. He has time to do what Jesus has asked him to do. Pastor, I can't get up that early. Well, maybe you could if you went to bed at 8 o'clock. Oh, Pastor, I could never go to sleep at 8 Oh, yes, you can. If you're tired. Now, I'm not saying you should get up at 3.30. I usually wake up about 5.30, sometimes earlier, sometimes a little later. And I go into the prayer closet, and my first hours are spent with Jesus. Now, the responsibilities of this life may be club memberships, may be responsibilities with school, with children, may be responsibilities for cooking and cleaning, may be responsibilities in another area. But, If you're going to get ready for heaven, you are going to have to dramatically reduce your responsibilities. I'm responsible for many things. And I have steadily, as my life has gone on, reduced those responsibilities. Reduced the programs I'm a part of. Reduced my conversation time with people. I've reduced my social life. I don't have a social life to go to a party and kick back and just talk to people. If I'm going to go to a party, I'm going to go to talk about Jesus, and it's going to be a time of ministry. I don't have time for casual chit-chat. I have other things I must be about I have to be doing what my Father has asked me to do, what Jesus by the Spirit has directed me to do. So number one, if you want to be ready when Jesus comes, you're going to have to reduce your responsibilities, and you're going to have to turn that time and attention to reading the Scripture to intense prayer. Now please understand, prayer time is not about quality versus time spent. You cannot short-circuit the prayer closet. It means spending the time. It takes a great deal of time for us in the rush of this culture to just begin to quiet down inside as we come in before the presence of the Lord. It'll often take me an hour to just begin to be quiet before God. 
Jesus said, could you not even watch and pray one hour? Real prayer doesn't start until after that hour. This is not about saying a little prayer, now I lay me down to sleep. This is about serious, serious prayer. Now the second, the second thorn that will keep you out of heaven is this thorn of the deceitfulness of wealth. The deceitfulness of wealth. Let me read for you Matthew, the sixth chapter. I'll begin with verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I've said to some of you in some thank you notes that I'm writing, a heavenly man or a heavenly woman has their best thoughts on heaven. And everything else is subjected to our desire to be right with Jesus, that we could spend eternity with him. If your treasure is here on this earth, this is where your concern is going to be, and it becomes a responsibility. It says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will find full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He's saying, When you lust after the money, your heart is filled with darkness. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So if in your heart you're saying, well, I have to have money before I can serve Jesus, you've already missed it. How many times I've talked with people, particularly men, who have said, I wanted to serve Jesus full time. I wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to preach the word. I wanted to be an evangelist. But I didn't have any money. So I said, I've got to go make the money so I can then become what God's called me to become. And with their gray hairs, they've sat in my living room with tears running down their face saying, Pastor, it's too late now. I've got all the money, but I don't have anything else. That inner cry to serve God is gone. What do I do, Pastor? And I've simply said to them, Repent, and hear anew what God would do with your remaining years of life or remaining months of life. You cannot serve both God and money. 
Oh, we need money. It takes a lot of money to be on this radio broadcast. But the money for me is just a tool to be able to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only cry of my heart, that I could further the gospel of Jesus Christ. That I could reach you today and cause you to see these three thorns in your life and say, I'm not going to be caught by these. I'm not going to let them grow in my life. I'm going to burn them out. I'm going to cut them down. I want to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? You know what the Lord has prompted me to do? Feed the birds in my backyard. And I have one particular piece that hangs. It's a cylinder of seeds. And it's about eight inches tall. And about oh, I'd say four or five inches across. And it sits in a holder and hangs so that the squirrels can't get to it. Every morning there are four or five beautiful bluebirds eating from that. And I enjoy watching them. I love the bluebirds. Now, many other birds come as well. The cardinals, the titmice, the blue jays, especially this time of year, the slate-colored juncos. I enjoy watching all of them. Did they pay for that food? No. The Lord prompted me to provide food for his birds. That's how it works. It says, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. How does he feed them? He feeds them through me and through many others. And he feeds them by the seeds that are in the grass. This is a cold time of winter. There's not much fresh food available for them. The worms are not on the surface. The robins have all gone south. The Lord is still providing for the birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So he's saying, Look, give to God the responsibilities of your life 
tear down those responsibilities at the leadership of the Holy Spirit and carve out large, significant portions of time to read the scriptures and to pray, to fast, to wait before God, learn the ways of God through the scriptures and by the direction of the Holy Spirit. This will take time. I've spent my whole life searching after the Lord Jesus. I now would not do anything else if I had the opportunity but to do exactly what I've done because the Holy Spirit has so enriched my life. When something happens in my life and I see the response that automatically rises in my heart, I'm filled with gratitude to Jesus because there was a time in my life when I would have responded very differently. But because of the time I've spent with him and the lessons he's taught me, I don't explode with anger and judgment and bitterness anymore. I don't explode with accusations against God anymore. I don't get angry at the Lord when things don't go my way anymore. I've learned how to wait upon the Lord, to be patient. Now, I didn't practice patience until finally I had patience. The Lord gave me the gift of patience. He says, verse 33, this is Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What things? The things the pagans run after. <laughs> the story's told of a, of a great king. And there was a man who did the, a favor for the king. And the king said to him, Thank you. Now ask for me anything you'd like, and I'll give it to you. And quickly he thought in his mind, if I ask for a sum of money, I'll soon spend it and it will be gone. If I ask for honor in the court, the time will come when I'll have to go home and the honor will no longer be there. I know what I'll do. I'll ask the king for the hand of his daughter in marriage. And then everything else will come in its train. It takes wisdom to know how to ask from God the very thing that will bring everything else in its train. He's saying, seek first his kingdom. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done in other words when i seek first his kingdom i am seeking first his will i am seeking to know what god wants in this given situation and as i pray for his kingdom to come i'm also praying for innocence before him 
I'm asking God to make me innocent, to give me his righteousness. The word in the Greek for righteousness means innocence. No charge against, no guilt associated with, made innocent by the blood of Jesus, washed and made clean. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It doesn't mean don't be prudent in the way we use our time and our money and our energy. But it means don't test God. Put your focus on seeking his will. And that's the first thing we do in the prayer closet. I use the Lord's Prayer as a model for my personal prayer. I come to the Lord and I seek his will in my life. And I seek his will in Washington, D.C. I seek his will over Donald Trump and over the political apparatus of our nation. I seek the will of God and I allow him to direct my prayers in accordance with what he wants me to pray for, to come into agreement with him on. If the focus of my heart is on money. I will never be able to pray the will of God. It is deceitful. Money is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. And then finally, the desires for other things come in and choke the word. The desire for other things is another thorn It may even be the desire for good things. I saw a beautiful kayak that I would really enjoy having. And I know that if I had that kayak, I would need the paddle. I'd need the little carrier. I'd need a carrier on my car. There would come in the train of that decision to get the kayak all kinds of equipment that I would want and it would consume my time so the desire for other things even good things would come in and choke the word of God in my heart now what I'm talking about today if you choose and want to go to heaven if the cry of your heart is that you want to go to heaven okay there's some things that will block you from being able to prepare to go to heaven they are things that steal your time they are things that deceive you with the lust of stuff and things and travel and the desire for other things other than the kingdom of heaven can I be specific some of you men get together you smoke your cigars and you have an evening of poker 
Well, is there anything inherently wrong? Well, yes and no. It's time that you didn't have to spend that way if you understood that your soul will soon be required of you. If you looked at how short the time is, would you waste your time talking foolishness about the sports? Would you spend your time foolishly talking about the things of this earth? Do you understand there's not time? There's time barely to prepare adequately to go to heaven and take a crowd with me. The cry of my heart is not that I go alone to heaven. I want you to come with me. I want you to meet me on that day or long before and say, Pastor, thank you. I want to go to heaven with you too. And I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get ready. Well, the first thing is get rid of these choking thorns in your life, these worries and responsibilities, the the deceitfulness of money, the way you're tight-gripped and hold on to your money, and the desire for other things. Some of you, all you desire is to get out of town and go to vacation, go on the cruise, go on the, the road trip, go to Spain, go to Europe, go to Ireland, go here, go there, and and you're constantly, two or three times a year, you're traveling. You've retired. You've got a nice government subsidy. And then you're going to die. And all of that time you spent enjoying yourself, traveling the world, did it help you get ready for heaven? And did you win anybody to Jesus? So, if you want to get ready for heaven, you're going to have to reduce, number one, your responsibilities. It may mean leaving the job you're in and going to a job that is less demanding of your time so that you can spend more time reading the scripture and praying and raising your family to be godly. Two, the love of money is the root of all evil. The deceitfulness of wealth will consume your time and your energy. And the result will be your family will go to hell. Your children will not grow up to be Christians. You will be made cynical and hard. And your nerves will be stretched to the utmost and and break. You may even have a mental breakdown of, of sorts. You may have a nervous system breakdown. Your health may break. All because you're serving mammon, not Jesus. And the desire for other things that come in and Choke the word so that you don't produce what Jesus has asked you to produce. I want to turn with you 
to the book of Hebrews, the sixth chapter. I'm going to begin reading at verse 7. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and in danger of being cursed, and in the end it will be burned. He's talking about real people. Is he talking about you? What are you producing in your life? Are you producing thorns and thistles as I have described them? Jesus described the responsibilities of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. He describes those in Matthew and in Mark, the fourth chapter. He describes those as thorns and thistles. What are you producing You see, the sun comes up and shines on you. The rain falls. You live with the benefits of God. Food, clothing. But what are you producing? Are these thorns and thistles choking out the land of your life, then you are in danger of being cursed if you don't radically change your behavior and begin to seek after God. Intense prayer. Fasting. The reading of Scripture. Not just a verse or two. Not a devotional and then dash off to work. No, I'm talking about like 10 chapters a day. I'm talking about serious reading of the Word. I'm talking about meditation on that Word. It can be perhaps, and sometimes for me it's only a verse that I read, but then I spend a couple hours meditating on that verse and praying over it and asking Jesus to make it real in my life and to show me what he wants me to hear and to show me what he wants me to change and and what his ways are and how to grow into that and then to pray through prophetically, Lord, what do you want me to say on the radio today? And each day he gives me the message I'm to bear to you. Are you producing thorns and thistles in your life? Is the word of God being choked out of your life? Then you are in danger, first of being cursed, of not having a life that is happy, that is joyful, that is filled with hope, but a desperate life, discouraging, depressed, angry, accusations. Why is God treating me this way? And then in the end, you'll be burned. He says, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're confident of a better thing in your case. Things that accompany salvation. Can I say that about you? I want to. 
God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. He sees the sacrificial giving to Pilgrim's Progress. He sees the work you do to move the kingdom of God forward. That matters to God. What matters to God matters to me and to you. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. I'm a part of that seed because of Jesus Christ. Verse 16, men swear by someone greater than themselves. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. This is Hebrews, the sixth chapter, verse 17. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. By a promise and by an oath, we will be saved if we make the adequate preparation, if we allow God to make us righteous, it is a supernatural work of grace. It is not imputed righteousness, meaning it is his robe, but I'm still filthy and full of sin underneath that robe. No, it is imparted righteousness. It is real righteousness. He makes his people righteous. And every sin is overcome. And we are holy in his sight. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So he makes us holy by faith. We are justified by faith. And that word justify is an old English word that means we are made holy. It doesn't, it's not a forensic legal term as we're taught. It is literally, I am made whole by the blood of Jesus Christ. He transforms me into his likeness. Now this takes a decision on my part that I will follow Jesus. And he makes me righteous. That's called justification. That's all it is. All of my past sins are wiped out and I am presently made righteous before him, and the law is fulfilled in my heart and in my life. And then there is entire sanctification. Where I come and lay my life before God, I spend the time learning his ways, and I wait upon him for a second work of grace. 
where he's going to come and actually remove the old Adam nature so that I'm not fighting with it anymore. My heart is filled with joy and gladness and peace. Most of all, it's filled with love for Jesus. That's what I want. My heart today is filled with love for Jesus Christ. I rejoice in him. And every day, I'm going to do what Paul has said. Or whoever the writer of Hebrews was. He says, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So it's every day coming. There's no time when I can lay aside my my concern about salvation for myself or others. There's never a time when I can lay back and say, well, I've got it made now. I'm okay. I'm on my way to heaven. Now I can go about and be concerned with the things of the world and make my money. It doesn't work that way. I belong to Jesus. I need to know his ways. And the only way you learn his ways are by reading the scripture and prayer, and fasting, and giving your life in service to others, taking care of the poor, ministering to others the word of God, and boldly testifying that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior. See, there's no revival without a bold testimony about who Jesus is in your life. So let's be clear, it's It's prayer, it's scripture reading, it's fasting, it's giving to the poor, and it's obeying every word Jesus speaks to us. And we constantly do it, that the lost can be saved. Lord Jesus, I plead today that my brothers and sisters will be ready to go to heaven. I pray that not one of these three thorns will survive the onslaught against them that you will move in their hearts to perform, that they will do all that is necessary to come into your presence humbly with prayer and scripture and fasting with ministry to the poor and ministry to others, to win them to Jesus. Lord, please let this be the whole focus of our hearts and our lives. And we will trust you to bring forth the business, the work, whatever it is you decide you want us to be a part of, to be able to have people to witness to. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel, and I need your help. This is a faith ministry, and I need you to step forward. If you want this broadcast to go forward in Washington, D.C., I need to hear from you. We're coming to the end of the month, and we are still 
couple thousand dollars away from having enough to pay for the broadcast this month. So, would you write to me? National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you can give online. Thank you to several of you who have done that this month. I'm just standing by faith that we can be on the air the month of February. I'm also standing by faith that some of you will be moved to give large sums of money that we could quickly move to the FM side of the dial. I need people who will give each month regularly for the FM broadcast. I love Jesus, and I love his work. If you love him too, and you feel in the spirit that this message is one that needs to go out into the city, will you write to me? God bless you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. I love you. from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with great